Well, good morning, Riverview. Hey, it's good to be here with you. Uh, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if I have not had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, happy Father's Day uh, to you dads out there. Uh, I am a dad myself. I've got two boys. And a couple weeks ago, um, I was preaching at our Holt venue, and our kids were in the service, and one of my sons drew a picture of me while I was preaching. And so um, it's right here. It's a great picture. Um, <laughs> I noticed that the words are very big, and they're in all caps. So I have a feeling that my sons just think I yell at people for my job. Uh, <laughs> like I'm not, not sure what to do with that, but... Um, but I am thankful for that picture and thankful for my two boys. Uh, you know, and last year too, this is a, this is a cool day because last year, Juneteenth was recognized as a federal holiday. Uh, Juneteenth is a really important day in, our, in the history of our country because it's the day that we recognize the effective end of slavery. The last slaves were freed on this day in 1865 under the Emancipation Proclamation. And you know, for me, it's a day where I am reminded of the freedom and the dignity of human life that we all have as we bear the image of God. So it's a good day. Uh, Before we get into the scriptures this morning, into this series that we've been in of the Spirit, uh, I did want to share some uh, changes that we're having with our MSU venue uh, this upcoming fall. Uh, Justin and Young are preaching also at our other venues. They're going to share some of these changes as well. But beginning this fall, uh, we're actually going to be transitioning our MSU venue away from weekend services um, on campus. And we're going to transition our efforts into a lot more midweek ministry that's happening both at MSU and LCC. You know, for a long time, we've been really focused on Michigan State's campus and realizing that we haven't done as much with LCC, Lansing Community College, that we've wanted to. And so this transition away from weekend services into more midweek, during the week, Rift communities and other things, we think is going to be a really great change. And, you know, a primary reason for this is as a leadership team, uh, the other pastors and I, as we were praying and thinking about this, this decision really came uh, really from our core values. A few months ago, we did this series, Let's Be That, where we talked through these six core values we have as a church. And one of those is being multi-generational and next-generational. And we think that this step of, of transitioning MSU venue away from weekends and into our Holt venue, Rio Town venue, and Westside venue, that's going to be a great step in that direction. Because in a sense, the MSU venue has been an effective uh, time on the weekends, but it's really isolated students away from our church family, away from people older than them, away from people younger than them. So we're really excited for our college students to come to the Westside, Town, and Holt for services, and then to be a part of campus ministries uh, that we're leading both at MSU and LCC. This is also going to really allow us to empower younger leaders and, and raise up some younger students. And while we expect that this is going to be a great change, we would just appreciate your prayers for us as a leadership team. Anytime you make changes uh, to ministries or anything like that, it's just a lot of work. And there's a lot of things that happen that you don't often plan for. So this summer, if you could commit to praying for our church, praying for our elder team, as we navigate all those things, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. So I'm actually going to pray as we start this morning, and then we will jump into the scripture together. So let's pray. God, we do thank you uh, so much for our church family here at Riverview. We thank you for the MSU venue, and we thank you for Young, our MSU venue director, and how he is going to continue leading our efforts uh, with students, both at MSU and LCC, with Riv Communities and other ministry that's happening. God, we're so thankful that he's going to remain on our team, and he's going to keep leading uh, the efforts with our students, and we pray for him 
uh, this summer, just as he continues to lead amidst uh, the transition of our services away uh, from the MSU venue on Sundays, but into a lot of, of ministry and happenings throughout the week. So God, we pray for Young, pray for his team, and we just pray for our college students in our church uh, to plug into our other venues and to really uh, experience life in our multi-generational and next-generational church. Uh, God, we're thankful for today and for these changes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we have been in this series here at Riverview of the Spirit since a few weeks after Easter. So we've been here since late April, and we're continuing on in this series today where we are going through the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a passage from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is kind of the foundational verse of this series, and it says this. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. You know, these two verses are a contrast of what the Apostle Paul had written previously to these works of the flesh, these ways that we're tempted to live for ourselves, for our own glory, for our own needs and things like that. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is the way God works in us as we believe in Jesus, as we grow in our faith. And these words, these fruit of the Spirit, come about in us through the power of God. And this week, we're getting toward the end of the list. Uh, We're looking at this word faithfulness. Now, the word faith is like a, a foundational core word when it comes to Christianity. You know, faith is just another word for belief. It's another word for trust. Uh, We see a lot of times that word faith in the Bible, but one of the clearest ones is in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith. It's this list of men and women from the Old Testament that were found faithful. They had faith in God and his promises. And and the very first verse of chapter 11 tells us what faith is. It says this, faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. You know, while faith is a big part of our lives here in the church, faith is not a word that's only tied to Christianity. I mean, we use that word all the time. We use the word faith and belief. We use trust. You know, we, we put our faith in things every single day. And we may not think that we do, but we, it actually happens. You know, we trust that our car is going to get us where it needs to go every day and that the air conditioning is going to work this week. Man, we needed it. Uh, we trust that our children are being taught and cared for in school when we drop them off. We trust that the paycheck is going to show up on time because when it doesn't, that's hard, right? We live, we live our lives and we put our faith in things and that these things will happen. But the thing that makes it unique for a Christian is that you talk about your life as a follower of Jesus as your faith. That's what we say. And you do that Because the object of your faith or what you trust in or what you believe, that is at the core of what makes you a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It's not the good things you accomplish. It's not your moral track record. It's not how good your resume is. No, it's what your faith is in. And for a Christian, that faith is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. You believe that he came to the earth to live a perfect life for you to die for your sins on the cross and to rise from the dead on the third day for you. That's why Christians are called believers because at the core of who we are, we believe in Jesus. Christians are faith people. That's who we are. So when you look at this fruit of the spirit, you see that we are to be faithful. 
the, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, you see the word faith everywhere. Um, it's this word pistis or pistos. Pistis, we see, is 240 times. And that word really just describes faith in God, faith in his promises. But pistos is this, is this word that describes being faithful, right? Having honest or reliable character. Other words that translate into faithfulness would be like loyalty, fidelity, trustworthiness, truthfulness. Those are all very admirable qualities in a person, right? We all strive to be faithful, to be trustworthy. But I know that even those words may strike a chord with some of us because we've got moments in our life where we haven't been faithful or where other people haven't been faithful to us. So I know that this very topic may be challenging for some of us this morning. And, you know, there is actually a term uh, for someone that is the opposite of of faithful and trustworthy. Uh, Someone who would be unfaithful. Someone who kind of leaves you high and dry. They don't have your back, right? And there's there's a term used to describe this person in our cultural lexicon. It's a fair weather friend, right? Maybe you've heard of this or the the sports equivalent of a fair weather fan or a bandwagon fan. And that picture gives us a really good um, idea of who this person is. Fair weather friends are there for you when the weather is good. Days like today, sunny and 75, right? But when the weather gets bad, they leave. They're not there for you. Fairweather fans choose to support the team that's projected to win the Super Bowl every year instead of continuing to root for the Lions, okay? <laughs> the weather's been bad in Detroit, y'all, for a long time. But, but no, every summer, what do we say? It's looking good. It's going to be sunny this fall. And I really, I really think that. I, I do. Um, because I'm a long-suffering fan. You know, what do, what, do the, what do we Detroit fans call ourselves? We're the Detroit faithful right? We aren't going anywhere. But fair weather people, they prioritize comfort. They prioritize convenience over constancy or over commitment. You know, and while we may experience that with people in our lives, uh, fair weather people, fair weather friends, and I think we can often sometimes believe that God is this way toward us, that he's a fair weather God. And I think we can be tempted to think this when we're in really tough seasons, right? When we're praying for something and then that God is not answering the prayer that we want him to. Or we're in a season where we're like, why, why am I in such suffering? Why isn't this ending? You know, when, we, when these things happen, we can begin to think that God is just being unfaithful toward us, that he's left. And I think we do this because we often measure God's faithfulness toward us by how good our life is, how comfortable we are. But faithfulness is constancy and commitment all the time, even in those hard, hard seasons. And when we look at the word, we see that God is perfectly faithful to us. Just look at at some of these passages, the way they describe God's character. This is Psalm 36, starting in verse five. Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgment's like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 24. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope 
in him. First Corinthians chapter one, verse nine. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then first Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Isn't that encouraging? That's true. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Now, this is just four of many passages that speak to the faithfulness of God. He is not a fair weather God. (laughs) He does not change his mind. He does not leave us in times of struggle. He's not fickle. No, he's faithful. And we see this even more when you look at the context of each of these passages that I just read. Psalm 36, that first passage, that is David's, David's psalm, and he's reflecting on the unfaithfulness of humanity. He's talking about how unfaithful we are to God and how faithful he is to us amidst our unfaithfulness. That second passage was from the book of Lamentations, and that was written by Jeremiah, a prophet. And that book is what it says. It's a lament. Jeremiah is lamenting over the unrepentance and unfaithfulness of his people to God. And he's calling to mind how God's mercies are new every day for people who are unfaithful. In 1 Corinthians, Paul brings to mind God's faithfulness in calling us to, to fellowship in the Son in Jesus Christ, but then he also talks about God's faithfulness in the times we are tempted to sin. Do you notice where all of these verses in the the kind of situation that the people are in when they're calling to mind God's faithfulness, it's not fair weather. It's tough stuff. It's storms, the hardship, the brokenness. As we deal with human wickedness, as we lament, as we mourn, as we are tempted to sin, as we are tempted to be unfaithful, that is where God's faithfulness to us overflows. We see the faithfulness of Jesus all over the Gospels too. The Gospel accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are play-by-play accounts of Jesus' life in his ministry. If you don't know much about Jesus, if you don't know who he is, read the Gospels. He is on clear display in those letters, in those books in the New Testament. And over and over again, you see the patience and the faithfulness of Jesus, really with his disciples. The disciples were these 12 guys that Jesus had chosen to follow him and and learn from him. And, And over and over again, he would gently explain how you guys really aren't getting this. (laughs) He kept these disciples with him as they stumbled along. And he modeled for them what it meant to remain faithful amidst terrible, terrible circumstances. You know, the most powerful time of Jesus' life we have this is the night before he's crucified. This is in Matthew 26, verse 36. It says this. Am I at Matthew 26? There we go. Yes, here we go. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. So Jesus is struggling here. He brings his friends along to pray for him. Going a little farther, Jesus fell face down and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He asked Peter, you couldn't stay awake 
with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. Okay, so Jesus, at this point of his life and his ministry, he asked his friends to come with him because he was preparing to go to the cross. And as Jesus was with his friends, he's like, guys, can you just, can you pray for me? Can you stay here with me? They fell asleep both times. And, and this is significant. Jesus is experiencing sorrow and anguish. Don't miss what he says. I am deeply grieved to the point of death, but they can't stay awake. But don't miss what Jesus does on the cusp of the most challenging day of his life. He prays. He goes off by himself and he prays to his heavenly father. And in his prayer, we see two things about Jesus. We see his dependence upon God, but we also see his faithfulness. Look at what he prays. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Or, and then he says, my father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it. But then two times he says the same thing, not my will, but yours be done. That is a prayer of faithfulness. That is a prayer of commitment to his heavenly father and the work that he'd set before him to remaining steadfast amidst trial. But that prayer, it actually shows us something that faithfulness isn't. Faithfulness is not passive agreement with everything happening in your life all the time. Don't miss what Jesus prays for. It is so freeing for us as Christians. He says, dad, can, you, can this not happen, please? He's asking for his circumstances to change. In Jesus' humanity, he was struggling with what was gonna happen, the deep sorrow and pain that he would experience. And he says, God, if this could happen some other way, that would be great. Could that be so? But we see his faithfulness in how he ends his prayer. He's like, God, not my will though, but yours be done. Jesus says that twice. It is God's desire that us, that we, his kids would pray, that we would pray big prayers, that we would pray for our circumstances to change, that we would pray, we would ask him for things and expect him to hear us. But faithfulness is continuing to trust in the will of God for your life, especially when it's different than your desired will for your life. And we do this with the hopes that God will see us as faithful as he's been faithful to us, we remain faithful to him. You know, Jesus didn't only model this with his life. He told a lot of stories about it. Jesus would tell parables and he would communicate truth in ways that people could understand. And he told a lot of stories. In one chapter right before this in Matthew 25, his disciples had been hearing him talk about kind of the end of all things. And his disciples were really excited. They're like, Jesus, when's this gonna happen? Like, when, is the, when are you going to be the king? When is the fulfillment going to happen? Like, the, when are, when's the kingdom going to be here? And Jesus used that moment to tell them a few stories. But the truth in these parables was be faithful. I'm going to read one, one parable. This is Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. Uh, this is the parable of the talents, if you're familiar with that. But it says this, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. So this is Jesus telling a story to his disciples. 
To one servant, he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Okay, I'm going to jump out of the story for a second uh, because a talent here is different than what we think. When I hear talent, I'm thinking talent show, you know? <laughs> That's kind of what I think. Um, and so we can read this thinking, oh, one servant gave one of his, or one master gave a servant five talents. He can play guitar and he can sing. And it's like, no, it's, it's not what we're talking about. A talent in this culture was a, a unit of money. It was a lot of money. So when I hear talent, think gold bar, okay? Think one talent is like one gold bar because it was worth a lot of money. So there's this master who entrusts a lot of his riches to three servants. He gives one five, one three, or two? Two, and then one with one, okay? That's the story. Now, verse 16. Immediately, the man who received five talents, five gold bars, he went, he put them to work, and he earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two. See, I've earned two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man who'd received one talent also approached and said, master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with, with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like many of the parables Jesus told uh, to communicate truth, it was not often a happy ending. <laughs> this parable ends on a heavier note. But remember the context of this parable. This is a story that Jesus is telling to his disciples about the fulfillment of all things, the kingdom of heaven, when it's coming. And notice the story doesn't answer the question. The disciples are like, when's this happening, Jesus? And Jesus responds with a question about a What? <laughs> He's like, guys, you shouldn't be focused on the when. You should be focused on right now, being faithful. How you should live looking forward to a future kingdom. Jesus would often do this with his parables. People would come up to him and they'd ask him a question and he wouldn't answer their question. <laughs> he would answer the question that they should have asked instead of the question that they did with a story. And there's three really important things that Jesus communicates about faithfulness in this parable. The first thing that's so telling to me is what the master celebrates in the servants. What does he say to the first two after they, show, after they show their master what they've done? He says, well done, good and faithful. Those two qualities should sound familiar. Goodness, we heard about last week. Agathosine was the Greek word. And faithfulness, pistos. 
Those first two servants are celebrated for taking what was entrusted to them and being faithful with it. And they didn't do this for themselves. They didn't keep that money. It was for their master. It was the master's riches. It wasn't their own. But they were faithful with what they were given. And that's what the master celebrates. You know, the second thing that Jesus communicates in this parable is how faithfulness leads to joy. You know, I love what the master says to the servants. He tells them, share your master's joy. Now, we don't see the details in this parable. I imagine those servants were thrilled when the master came back. It's after a long time. And they were excited. Why? Because they were faithful. They loved their master. They wanted to please him. And a reward for their faithfulness, it was getting to share in the joy of the one that they loved. The one who had entrusted them with his riches. Faithfulness leads to joy. But the last thing Jesus communicates in this parable, it's sobering. It's very sobering. The parable shows us how our view of God impacts our faithfulness. Because there is one servant that the master did not say, good job, well done to. Well done, good and faithful. It was the third one. He was described as being evil and lazy. And this was told to him because of what he chose to do with that talent, that one gold bar he was given. He buried it. He got a shovel out, dug it in the ground, covered it up, and then didn't think about it till the master came back. Then when the master came back, he dug it up, brushed it off, and handed it back to him. And we see the reason why. We don't have to wonder. We see it in this parable. He says five things to the master. Master, I know you. You're harsh. You reap where you don't sow. You gather where you haven't scattered seed. And all those things came together to say this. I was afraid of you. The servant's view of the master impacted his faithfulness. He was fearful And it led him to squander what he was entrusted with instead of seeing it as an opportunity to be faithful. This is true of us. Our faithfulness as followers of Jesus is impacted by how we see God. If your view of God is that he's harsh, that he's demanding, that he is a cruel deity who only cares about how much you produce, only cares about what you accomplish, that's going to impact your faithfulness. Your Christian life will be led by fear instead of love, instead of acceptance that God already has for you in what Jesus has done. We must let our view of God come from what he's revealed about himself in the word. Remember God's faithfulness to you. Remember, because of his faithful love, we do not perish. His mercies never end. We were called, because of his faithfulness, we were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Great is his faithfulness. All throughout the Bible, we see the faithfulness of God toward us in the Old and the New Testament. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in the prophets. We see it in the, in the Gospels. We see it in the epistles. We see the faithfulness of Jesus amidst the reality of the cross. And we see that faithfulness as the model for us that we commit ourselves to. As we grow in our faith, the Spirit makes us faithful. We're loyal, trustworthy, truthful. So let's think about ourselves 
and faithfulness for a moment. Let's think back to that parable in Matthew 25. How do you see God? Is he the harsh master? Are you afraid of him? Is he distant? Is he far away? Or is he faithful? Is he a heavenly father that you see? One who wants you to trust him and to believe. You know, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection for you, my hope is that you do. That you see God as a heavenly father with his arms open to you, ready to accept you on the merits of Jesus Christ. God went to incredible lengths to save you from your sin. Choose to trust Jesus, to put your faith in him today. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you've done that, you have the spirit in you. The spirit is making you more like Jesus. Let your view of God come from what he's revealed in the word. How do you see him? The next question for us is, is God growing you in faithfulness? Is the spirit doing that? How are you seeing that in your life? Are you steadfast? Are you clinging to him? You know, in your life, when is it the most difficult for you to do that? For me, hands down, it's times of suffering. The times of my life where it feels like it's going in slow motion, and I just want to press fast forward. <laughs> I just want to get through it. It's hard to stay faithful. Challenging circumstances, when God isn't answering my prayers, maybe like I want him to, when there's consequences of sin in my life or in the lives of others around me, the spirit never leaves us. He's faithful. He helps us cling to Christ and remain faithful. When the world around us, even when some people around us may tell us, just give up, let it go. We don't. And not only do we remain faithful to God, but we remain faithful toward other people too. We stand by one another. We're not fair whether friends. We're not fair whether brothers or sisters in Christ. We are faithful to one another in all circumstances. Is God growing you in faithfulness? You know, as I spent time this week thinking about this for myself and this fruit of the Spirit, I realized how easy it is for me to replace faithfulness, a pursuit of faithfulness, with other things that just seem better. I can devalue faithfulness in comparison to other things. And that happens when I really look at what the world says more than what God's Word does. And the two words that come to mind for me are being successful or being fruitful. You know, as, as I thought about those two words, I can often think that's more important to God than being faithful. I mean, think about success when it comes to the world standards, how much money we make, how many resources we have, how many letters we have after our name, how high we've climbed in our career, or even fruitfulness in our faith, how much we produce how many individuals, how many people's lives are impacted and how much we can tangibly look back at our track record and think, we did that. That was me. I'm often tempted to believe that being successful or being fruitful is more important than being faithful. And let me be clear, that temptation, that comes when I am being discipled by the world, not God's word. When I'm looking at the culture, when I'm looking at the world around me and thinking that's more important instead of what God has said 
in his word to me and to us. When I start thinking those things, I need to go back to the scripture. I need to go back to the parable of Matthew 25. I need to remember that success and being fruitful were not the words the master told the servants. He said, well done, good and faithful too. I read a quote a couple years ago by Pastor Craig Hamilton. He's a pastor in Australia. And this is a quote I need to remind myself of a lot. (laughs) He writes this, when everything is done, God won't say, well done, good and successful servant. He won't even say, well done, good and fruitful servant. What he'll say is, well done, good and faithful servant. Your job is in the power of God to faithfully do the right things for the right reasons. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. We remain faithful to God amidst all that life throws our way. We continue to love him, to trust him. And as we remain faithful to God, we also remain faithful to one another. We're not fair-weather friends. We're not fair-weather Christians. We're not a fair-weather church family. We're an all-weather church family. Our lives are marked by faithfulness. We remain loyal steadfast and committed to one another as we grow in our faith, as the Spirit brings this about in us. It's just like that quote said, our job in the power of God is to faithfully do the right things for the right reasons. And when we do that, it's so freeing because we can leave the results to God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just first want to thank you for your faithfulness to me as a son. God, there are so many times I look back on in my life and I think you could have walked away (laughs) because of my unfaithfulness. You could have said I'm done with you because God, I'm often unfaithful to you. I don't treasure you like I should. God, I thank you that your faithfulness is perfect, that your faithfulness was seen in sending us a savior. And God, as I read your word, as I think about growing in faithfulness, growing in commitment to you, to your word, to your people, God, I'm thankful that we have Jesus as the perfect faithful person, the one who remained loyal and steadfast amidst more challenging circumstances than I will ever experience. God, we thank you that the Spirit makes us faithful as we continue to trust you, believe in you, honor you with our lives. You remain faithful to us and you make us faithful people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.